Today, I'm going to re-preach the first sermon ever preached. That is the first sermon ever preached in the New Testament church. You could call this the first ever Christian sermon. Um, it's, from, it's by the Apostle Peter, who preaches outdoors. He's out in the open. He's at a bustling festival. He stands up, he lifts his voice, and he preaches the gospel of Jesus. And 3,000 people get converted. So we're going to see how we go today. Um, I'm not sure we'll see 3,000 people converted, but you never know. In fact, I'll tell you what I will do. I'll always trust um, that God, God's plan or his intention for this will happen. And as I share this message with you, um, I actually trust that if this is going to be the moment where the Lord catches hold of your attention and your heart and draws you to himself, then that's what's going to happen. Um, if you can sense that that's what the Lord is doing in this moment, do not resist him. Come to the Lord. I've got four points, four points for you today. And each one's going to kind of come up on the screen as I say it. Here's the first point. You can know God. Very simple. You can know God. We now live in an amazing age. It's an age where it's completely possible for anyone and everybody to actually know God genuinely and hear from God personally. The promise is this, um, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. You will receive the Holy Spirit in full so that you can actually know your maker and hear from your maker. That's an incredible age that we live in where that is possible and it's possible for you. Now, I say it's amazing because that wasn't always possible. It wasn't always possible that the Holy Spirit could actually come upon every single person who puts their trust in God. That's actually not how the Holy Spirit used to work. We live in an amazing age now that began about 2,000 years ago at this festival of Pentecost um, in this very moment that we're looking at here. Prior to this moment of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was still the same Holy Spirit, but functioned in a, in a different way. The Holy Spirit would come upon and anoint people, but only particular people in a particular role for a particular time. The Holy Spirit would anoint people like prophets or priests or kings um, for the particular role of usually hearing the voice of God and actually bringing the word of God to the people of God. And that was only ever the case for a particular time period, just for a moment. It was temporary. That's how the Holy Spirit functioned throughout the New Old Testament up until this point of Pentecost. But from this point on, the Holy Spirit is now poured out on all who believe in God. And in this moment here, it's the first group of believers. There's 120 of them. And as they receive the Holy Spirit, they actually are given an ability to speak in different earthly languages so that they can witness to Jesus. And, and that's particularly helpful at this festival because there's people from all nations who are followers of God at, in Jerusalem. And so the believers are now preaching the gospel of Jesus in the languages of the people so they can hear. It's amazing. It's an exciting moment. But it was also a bit of a confusing moment. Not everyone knew what was going on. 
Some people actually came to the conclusion that these believers who were speaking in other tongues that they hadn't previously known must have been drunk. And that's the first thing Peter addresses to clarify when he opens up his sermon there. Have a look at it there in verse 14. Peter stood up with the 11. He raised his voice and he addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. That's the first thing Peter says. Look, they're not drunk. Um, don't write this off. In fact, Pete wants them to know, Peter wants them to know that what's happening here in this moment is a unique moment in history. More than that, it's the fulfillment of a lot of prophecy and promise about the Holy Spirit being poured out. And so Peter immediately launches into explaining how this moment is a fulfillment of prophecy by going to one of the prophets in the Old Testament, the prophet of Joel. He could have gone to a, a number of the different prophets who promised that this moment would come, but he goes to Joel, Joel chapter 2, and you can pick it up there in verse 17, and he quotes Joel. If you're new to this and you're looking at a Bible, you can tell when someone's being, you can tell when the Old Testament is being quoted by, you can see how the lines are indented there. Peter's actually quoting from Joel here in this moment. Um, and look at verse 17. Um, this is what Joel says, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. So there's the promise that there's going to be a moment in these things called the last days, which, is, which we're living in now, where the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out on all people. And then he goes down and he speaks about how it's, you know, people are going to prophesy and there's going to be visions and dreams. And there's going to be blood and there's going to be fire. And I tell you what you don't want to do in this moment is actually get too stuck on the details um, and get all caught up trying to figure out whether this is meant to happen for us and how it's meant to happen for us. Because those details are basically just harking back to how the Holy Spirit worked through the prophets in certain moments. They would prophesy and there'd be visions and there was dreams and there was fire from heaven sometimes. So all that language is just meant to help us see that the, the, the Holy Spirit was, was just actually on certain people in the Old Testament. But a day is coming when the Holy Spirit will come upon all believers. And, and that's what you've got to, you almost got to stand back. You've got to see the big peach, picture and um, grab the big point, which is this. All people, men, women, old people, young people, sons, daughters, all of them, anyone who's a believer can receive the Spirit in full, know God properly, and actually hear from God genuinely. That's an incredible promise. And that's a promise for us. You can know God. Everyone, it's possible that you can actually come and put your trust in Him and genuinely know Him and hear from Him now. It's not just for special people anymore. And some of you live with that. You've somehow, it's been given to you an idea that there's only certain people who can actually really know God and hear from God. That's not the case anymore. Now, how is it? How is it that we can actually come to know God? Well, verse 21, which is where Joel chapter 2 ends, have a look at it there. It says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So, so really, the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and knowing God, it's actually, it, it is for everyone, but not everyone is going to get that. Only those who, as it says here, call on the name of the Lord and get saved. 
So I've got a really simple question for you here today. Have you done that? Have you called on the name of the Lord yourself? Not have your parents called on the name of the Lord or has your wife called on the name of the Lord or are you part of a family that's called on the name of the Lord? But you, have you called on the name of the Lord yourself and received salvation? If not, why not? If you can admit, no, I haven't, first of all, well done for being honest. Secondly, why not? Do you you think you're just not churchy enough? Do you think, I don't have a background in the church? Do you think, not after everything I've done? No, no, no. This is for everyone. This is for you. You can call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Now, if you're a Christian already, then the edge of this promise that you want to catch is this, is that hearing from God and really knowing God deeply is not just for special people. That's Old Testament thinking, where it's just the prophets and the priests and the kings. Um, These days, the version of that is that there's special Christians in the churches who are the ones who are really deep with the Lord or, or pastors. You know, they're the man of God or the woman of God. They've got some direct line with God. That's ridiculous. Although it's not completely ridiculous. I do have a direct line with the Lord. But here's the thing. So do you. My line is not more direct. It's not stronger. If, if you've put your trust in Jesus and received the Holy Spirit, you've got the same line. So if you're someone who's sitting there thinking, I know I'm a Christian, but I, don't, I, I, didn't, I just don't know that I can really hear from God. You hear about other people who can hear from God. Listen up. If you put your trust in Jesus, you've called on the name and you've received the Holy Spirit. If you're a person with the Holy Spirit living inside of you and your Bible is open, you can hear from God. That's all it takes. You don't need to be doing anything special. God can speak in special ways. He has spoken in many ways through history and he might speak in special ways to you. But I'll tell you how you know you can be hearing from God is by having the Holy Spirit open up the Bible and reading it. Because what the Holy Spirit will do is help you understand that these words in this book are not just dead, dry, old, boring words. These are the very living, active words of God. This is God's booming voice to us, his final word to us through his son. Um, This week, I mean, we just heard Janelle, you know, testify to how more recently, her understanding of the word is kind of blowing her mind. I think that's the language she used. So what do you put that down to? I'd say it's the work of the Holy Spirit helping her understand and go deeper. And, and are you praying that for yourself as well? Um, for a bunch of us this week, we got to hear a bit of Ollie's story who, who sat down just recently, you know, I'm not sure if you're aware, you know, Ollie recommitted his life to the Lord. He tells a good chunk of his story in a little video we put together that we've got on the messenger group. And if you want to hear that, listen there or we'll give you access to it. It's a, it's, I mean, I've talked to so many people who have just found that super encouraging. But there's a bit in Ollie's story where he talks about how he, was, he, he thought he'd give you know, God and the Word and you know, one final go and he opens up the Bible, starts reading it and it just makes no sense. It's just, 
until he cries out to God. I think this is the language he used. Lord, help me. Just help me know you're real. Help me. And then all of a sudden, as he's reading, it starts to make sense. In fact, it becomes crystal clear and he plows right through Romans and keeps going through the New Testament. And Ollie, we're praying that that will continue for you because that actually is the work of the Holy Spirit, helping you to hear the very voice of God in the word. And this is the incredible promise that we get to live in today. Um, you, you can call on the name, get saved, receive the Holy Spirit and, and know God genuinely and hear his voice really by the Spirit through the word. What an incredible promise. There's point one. The other points will be a little bit shorter than that. Um, here's the second point. Your sin sent Jesus to the cross. Your sin sent Jesus to the cross. Um, just a minute ago, I, I talked about how you've you got to call on the name of the Lord to be saved. Um, let, let's figure out that one. What does it mean to call on the name of the Lord? Well, it actually means to call on the work of Jesus on the cross. That's what it means to call on the name of the Lord. It's to call on the work of Jesus on the cross. It's to understand the work of the cross and actually call out for it to be applied to you which is why Peter goes to the cross here in his sermon. And I tell you what, any gospel sermon or any gospel sharing, you've got to go to the cross because the cross is smack bang there at the center of the gospel. Have a look at verse 22 where Peter goes to the cross. He says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was accredited by miracles to you, the signs and wonders um, which God did among you and through him. As you yourselves know, I'll just pause there for a minute. You need to know who went to the cross. and So he starts by talking about Jesus. Two things about Jesus. Firstly, he's a real historical man. It's Jesus of Nazareth. You know, the bloke from Nazareth. Yeah, we all know him. A real historical man. Secondly, that Jesus was clearly from God. Accredited by the miracles and signs that he did that everyone saw. So Peter starts by saying, you know this Jesus. And you know he's a real man, and you know he was genuinely from God as well. But here's what happened, verse 23. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. So Peter says two things here. Number one, he says, God gave Jesus over to you. And secondly, you put him to death. You Jews and the wicked, the Romans, you are the ones who sent him to the cross. It was your actions. It was your sin that sent Jesus to the cross. Now, there's one thing you kind of want to notice about what's happening here. And if you're with me, you will have noticed it. Um, there's two things being said here about the one event. Who's responsible here? Well, first you hear, well, God handed him over for this. And secondly, you hear about the Jews who are responsible and, the, and, the, and the, um, the Romans as well. So what you've got here is both divine sovereignty, the plan of God, the actions of God, alongside human responsibility. And you see this in the scripture a lot. This is one of the classic places where you see right alongside each other, two things that we you know, logically find hard to have compatible alongside each other, but a God who's sovereign and in control and directing the course of history and the event of his son going to the cross and humans being genuinely responsible for Jesus going to the cross. It's called dual agency. The Bible doesn't seem to have an issue with it. Um, and so that's comforting for us, isn't it? That even when it's hard for us logically, this is actually reality. 
Now, you, you might hear that and you might say, yeah, sure, the, the Jews are responsible, the Romans are responsible for Jesus going to the cross because they genuinely are. But Tim, didn't you start by saying that it was my sin that sent Jesus to the cross? If that's the question you're asking, yes, that's, that is what I said. It, it's your sin that sent Jesus to the cross. And here's why I would say it's yours as well, not just the Jews, not just the Romans. Because in verse 23, it says, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. So think with me for a minute about this. We know from the rest of the New Testament that God's plan from the very beginning was to send his son to die on a cross and bear the sin of the world. We know that that was God's plan from the very beginning, to take our sin upon himself, to die with it and to deal with it. And if that's the case, if that's really why Jesus went to the cross and it was always part of God's plan to take the sin of the world, then you're part of the world. Your sin is part of what Jesus took on the cross. And so I say to you, it's your sin that sent Jesus to the cross. So call, to, to call on the name and receive salvation is to call on the work of the cross. It's to basically cry out and say, um, I get it. I can see what happened there. And to ask for the work of the cross, the removal of your sin to actually be applied to you. So call on the name, understanding what happened on the cross, and be saved. Have your sins forgiven and receive the Holy Spirit. Point three. Where's three? There's three for me. Here's point three. This Jesus is, risen, is the risen and exalted Lord. Did I get that right? Jesus is the risen and exalted Lord. It should kind of come up along here somewhere. Um, have a look at verse 24. Um, Peter goes on and talks about resurrection and exaltation. And again, he keeps quoting Old Testament passages, which is the equivalent here of exegetical preaching because he's preaching from the Bible that existed in this time, which was all Old Testament. So he keeps quoting Old Testament. Look at verse 24. Um, but this is after Jesus was nailed to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. God raised Jesus from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death. We just celebrated Easter. Um, the resurrection of Jesus is real. Um, it's interesting here, though, it does say that it, it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Why was it impossible for Jesus to stay dead? Well, basically, because he's the Messiah, and the Messiah can't stay dead because there's promises about what the Messiah would do. And, and, and here's, where, here's where Peter quotes Psalm 16, one of David's Psalms, there in verse 25, um, where there's prophecy and promise about how the Messiah um, couldn't stay dead, needed to come back to life. Um, and, and actually the focus of the promise there, you pick it up in verse 27. Have a look at it there. Because you will not abandon me. It sounds like David speaking about himself here, but then Peter goes on to clearly explain that it couldn't have been him speaking about himself. It must have been the one to come, the Holy One. Um, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. Um, come down to verse um, where is it 31, where Peter's explaining what must have been going on for David when he was writing this psalm. Um, he says, seeing that what was to come, he, that's David, spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, um, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. So David, when he did this psalm, when he wrote this psalm, had in mind a, a promise about the Messiah who would come 
and 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 would not be abandoned to the grave. So that, there's the there's the promise. Messiah can't stay dead. Um, God, uh, um, Peter explains it, um, and he restates it there in verse 32. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. And he's been exalted to the right-hand side of God. Not only was there promise and prophecy about Jesus being the Messiah who would be raised from the dead and would come back to life, but also that he'd go beyond that and actually be exalted back to the right-hand side of the Father. Um, and that, that's what David goes on to talk about here. Um, have a look at verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel... Oh, sorry, he quotes, he quotes Psalm 110 there. So I'll read verse 33. Um, exalted to the right hand of God. And then he quotes Psalm 110, clearly about the Messiah who's to come. And then verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. So here's the thing. Jesus is the risen and exalted Lord. It was promised that he would be, and this is what's happened for him. You can know for sure that Jesus has been raised and is now seated at the right-hand side as the Lord Almighty that we sang about earlier. He's the Lord who reigns, who rules, who is the final authority on life. He's the master. He's the boss. He's the Lord of the universe. And if that's true, that Jesus is the Lord over all creation, then that means he is also, obviously, your Lord. He's your Lord because he's the Lord, whether you recognize it or not. He is seated and we all live under his Lordship. Now, how does that leave you feeling? What, what does that leave you asking? Because when Peter preached this sermon at the festival, um, verse 37 um, as, as, as they heard, the people who were listening to Peter preach, that he says they were cut to the heart. Have a look at it. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. They just couldn't believe that they are responsible for sending the Messiah to the cross. And then they ask a question. It's a beautiful question. Brothers, what shall we do? So if it's true that Jesus really is the Messiah, that he did die, that he did rise, and now he's the Lord of the universe, what should you do? What, what are you left to do? What's the reasonable response to that reality? Well, final point, fourth point, repent and be baptized, every one of you. That's what he says in verse 38. Repent and be baptized, um, you receive the Holy for be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the Holy Spirit. And I wonder whether you're at that place now where you're accepting these realities that's making sense to you, maybe the first time in a long time or maybe the first time ever, and you know that this is what you need to do. What it means to repent is this. First, you kind of need to stop what you're doing. You need to stop in your tracks. You need to stop running from God. You need to stop resisting him and ignoring him and living without regard for him. He's the one who made you. He saved you. He loves you. He rules over you. It's important that you stop running from him. You need to turn around and you need to walk back to him. You need to see him as Lord. You need to bow before him 
you need to drop your head and you need to humbly submit your life to his lordship and you need to stay there you need to repent and you need to be baptized which and the concept there's more than just a bit of splashing a bit of water on you the meaning, the deep meaning of baptism is this, is that you need to be marked out as his. If you're going to repent, then this needs to flow on into a new life. And baptism is kind of a symbol of what's really going on for you. It's from this point on, you need to be marked out as belonging to him. You need to be immersed in him. You need to be identified with him as one who belongs to him. And you are to give your life in humble service to him. That's the reasonable response to Jesus being Lord. And as you repent and be baptized, you receive the Holy Spirit, which marks you out as belonging to him ultimately forever. And it empowers you for this new life under his lordship. And one of the key parts there is it empowers you for witness, which is what we're seeing here in the book of Acts the followers of God being empowered to actually be telling the gospel. So are you ready to do that? Again, you might say, not me. Look at verse 39. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So if you say, oh, no, not me. Uh, the Bible says, yes, you. This is for you. If you say, oh, I'm too young. This is, this is for big people. No, no. It says it's for children. It's promised. If you say, no, I'm just not me. I've, I've done too many things. I've been too far from God. I've just got no background in it. I wouldn't know what I'm doing. I'm just not churchy enough. What does it say there? It says for those who are far off. God, God comes for those who are far off. And so if you've been far off, for a long time, it's time to come home to the one who owns you and loves you and knows you and saved you and is your Lord. So come home. It's for those who the Lord your God will call, which is interesting, isn't it? You, we're going to call out on the name of the Lord and then we find out that it's actually the Lord calling us. So can you hear him calling you? Is there an echo in your own heart? to call out back to him? Is he on your case? Is he after you? Can you turn and repent and call out to him? Peter went on, it says, and he pleaded with them and he warned them. And so really this is a summary of his sermon here. So look, I, I'm going to end it there, but I want to plead with you. Christians or non-Christians, wherever you're at, you know, come back to the Lord. Live under his lordship, repent, cry out to him, call on the name of the Lord, be saved, repent and be saved. I'm going to pray a prayer just now that I'm going to encourage everyone to pray with me, whether you've prayed it before or not. Um, being a Christian is somewhat of a process of coming back to the Lord throughout your whole life. So I'm going to pray a prayer um, that's a prayer of actually just calling on the name of the Lord. And I want to encourage you to pray this with me, take the courage to do it, you know you need to do it. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Father God, how amazing it is 
that we can know you and hear from you. Father God, how hard it is for us to hear that it was my sin that sent Jesus to the cross. We see that Jesus was raised from the dead and is now the exalted Lord. And so we repent and we give our lives to living under your Lordship. We desperately need your Holy Spirit to help us do that. We trust you continue to pour out your Spirit into our lives to help us live for you. Amen. Amen.